0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Midcast live stream. This is an interview series featuring dissenting voices. The establishment would rather silence. I am your host, Manar Adley. This is the official Mint Press News podcast. So you can also find the audio version on any of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. We are currently live right now on YouTube. Rumble, and Rockfin. And as always, this podcast is viewer-funded, so if you'd like to support us, you can become a member of our Patreon. We always appreciate what you like, share, and subscribe. So today, we're going to be talking about how under the cover of the U.S. proxy war in Ukraine, Ukraine is undergoing economic shock therapy, including a massive privatization drive and attacks on worker power. So right now, the rich are taking advantage of this crisis to buy state resources and land at very low prices while undermining Ukrainian labor rights. This is all part of a process that the most powerful people in the world have done repeatedly to countries and communities in crisis, as highlighted in Naomi Klein's book, The Shock Doctrine. Now, President Zelensky has recently passed bills targeting workers' rights and their ability to form unions. Yet, whenever Zelensky is presented within the media, he's always depicted as a war hero, especially by the Western left. So who is the real Zelensky and why is he being idolized by the Western media? So today we are joined by Max Blumenthal. He's the editor of The Grey Zone, who has done a lot of reporting on Zelensky, on the Zelensky that the media does it want you to know about max thank you so much for being here today
1: thanks for having me minar
0: so it's very good to see you um as we are speaking today max it has recently been announced that zelensky has been voted time magazine's person of the year what is your reaction to this
1: well i i had to laugh And uh, he has an interview with Dave Letterman coming up in a subway station in Kiev, which you have to now refer to as Kiev because you have to use the Ukrainian pronunciation of everything, which even many Ukrainians or maybe even most Ukrainians weren't all using until the Russian language was essentially officially marginalized. But Dave Letterman's in the uh, – this was filmed in October. He's in the subway station and J- Dave Letterman, he makes himself look like a biblical prophet now. He's like his, his true self. He doesn't have to be uh, a corporate anymore, except he's doing the most corporate thing possible, which is to interview Zelensky and make Zelensky look like this hardened war hero who's so courageous. and Letterman actually claims that he has to be in the subway station because Russian bombing is so intense when uh, daily life in Kiev continues pretty normally uh, except with a lot of electricity blackouts but the point is the western the whole western media still continues to treat zelensky as this heroic nelson mandela type figure and ignores what he rec- he did this week which was to outlaw the russian branch of the ukrainian orthodox church they're rounding up priests as we speak in herson along with uh Members of the Jewish ultra-orthodox sect, Habad, who stayed behind in Kherson to tend to their people and their parishioners uh, when it was Russian territory before the Russian retreat, and so they're all being punished now and accused of Russian collaboration. Who knows what's going to happen to them? This is this is the way Zelensky has been running the country, especially since the war took uh, broke out. And we've reported. Um, you can look at my reporting at the Gray Zone along with Esha Krishnaswamy on the Pinochet-style regime of disappearances, assassinations, torture, uh, arrests of all of Zelensky's opposition, including his most popular and prominent opponent, the leader of the uh, the Ukrainian Patriots Party, um, Viktor Medvedchuk who was kidnapped and tortured by the Ukrainian SBU security services this year after his party was outlawed. I mean this is a guy you can you can find appearances in 2019 of Zelensky having these buddy buddy photo ops with it was like, you know, they looked like Obama and McCain from 2008. The next thing you know he disappears this guy and throws him in a a dungeon after outlawing his party and 13 other political and 12 other political parties, outlawing all opposition media. So that's the kind of that's the political side. And, you know, many mayors have been assassinated who have attempted to negotiate civilian corridors with the full express support of Zelensky's interior ministry. We know about the kill list, you know, Marot Varets, which, you know, even prominent American figures, Roger Waters, Scott Ritter, former UN weapons inspector, are are named and targeted there. Children are on this list. Hundreds of journalists have been placed on the list. This is run by the Ukrainian interior ministry. This is the kind of authoritarian hardline regime that Zelensky is presiding over. But then you have the economic side, um, which goes hand in hand with this Pinochet-style regime. It's very similar to Pinochet, except without the you know, the military uniforms and the goose-stepping, you have a, com- a former comedian who uh, now suddenly claims that he has this rich Jewish heritage to win over Western liberals. And he... Right he uh recently actually this was in in um what month was this yeah it was in september so right after zelensky signed the law that you mentioned in august where he outlawed essentially outlawed unions it's 70% of the ukrainian workforce is covered by this law because it targets smes or small to medium sized enterprises which have uh, less than 250 employees, you're now not allowed to form a union. A few weeks after signing that law, Zelensky rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange by video. This is a ridiculous image of him seated in his presidential chair uh, by video with all of these corporate chieftains and Ukrainian representatives cheering at the New York Stock Exchange. Alex Rubenstein covered this for us and i think this is one of our best and really really most concise articles about what this war represents the headline is zelensky rings new york stock exchange bell as euro dips below dollar this was also at the same time that the destruction of the eu economy had begun in earnest and i can tell you i was just in the eu i was in portugal where we were disinvited from this major Tech conference under orders from Zelensky's wife, Olena Zelenska, me and Aaron Mate. And then, you know, I went to Rome for a little while. And the EU has, has never been weaker. My dollar has never gone further. And it was not so easy to find a hot shower. But at this point, Zelensky had hired, or at least his government had hired, uh, WPP, which is one of the top PR firms in the world in order to sell multinational corporations on Advantage Ukraine. If you look at him ringing the bell in the NYSE at the Stock Exchange, uh, there are flags, Ukrainian flags on each side of him and they both are emblazoned with the logo of Advantage Ukraine. Advantage Ukraine offers the best investment opportunity since World War II, according to Zelensky to invest in Ukraine's economy. And which companies are they uh, offering as investment targets? SMEs, small to medium-sized enterprises, the same companies that are being officially de-unionized, where unionization is officially blocked. And as I mentioned before, opposition figures are being jailed. These also include labor rights activists, communists, Communist Party activists like the Kontorovich brothers who've been in jail and are now under house arrest simply for organizing for labor rights. And the, the, uh, Zelensky is offering this investment menu under Advantage Ukraine. The investment, The investment menu is every public asset. He's offering the financial rape of the Ukrainian public holdings. Of uh, just straight-up asset stripping. Basically, the the same project that took place in Russia in the 1990s will take place in post-war or contemporary Ukraine. And this is actually a project that has been continuous since the 2014 Maidan coup, which was triggered by the uh, government of Viktor Yanukovych Who's considered they, they always call him pro Russian, but basically, what he did was he wanted to arrange a, a deal to provide for gas and imports and exports to Ukraine's traditional largest economic partner, which is Russia, because they're right next door. And what right. the EU was offering him was an association agreement that would have resulted in austerity and would have prevented them from trading with getting cheap gas in the winter from Russia, which is just right there, or cheap grain from one of the world's largest grain providers, or exporting their grain right next door. Um, And when he said, no, this is impossible, and the the privatization, as as corrupt as this government currently is, this is too much privatization, and I'm not going to sell out our workers to this degree. This is all very well documented. And that's when the coup began. So since 2014... The Ukrainian government under Petro Poroshenko, who wasn't even – I mean, he's essentially the leader of a military junta. Under Poroshenko, the government ended their restriction on GMOs. And this was done under intense lobbying from Monsanto and Dow. And then they began selling off their farmland to these these multinational corporations. The asset stripping began right away after 2014. I mean, I can go into even more detail about what was taking place before um, under Yushenko, for example, who came in under the first Western color, back color revolution, the Orange Revolution, backed by a coalition of CIA-tied oligarchs and you know, the USAID and so on. I mean, this, this guy's wife was actually a former staff member at the Heritage Foundation in Washington.
0: Wow, that's one of the most hawkish think tanks in this country
1: it's hawkish but it's 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 essentially the outsourced brain of the Republican party and they just it's just full-scale deregulation and privatization is what they plan for Congress every day so they they managed to slip in a heritage foundation cadre in Kiev after mm. the orange Revolution in two thousand four and r- those same laws that they write for the United States deunionization and privatization they mm. just cut and paste it for ukraine so this is a long-standing project and it's being carried out now um under cover of war along with all this political repression and western liberals are happy to forgive it all because you know our brain their brains have been were completely hacked by Russia Gate, and everything is forgiven that zelensky and ukraine does just to stick it to putin
0: And that's exactly what it's all about is at the end of the day, this is just a war against Russia, but um, that was, there's a lot to unpack with what you are, what you've been talking about, but really quick, I just want to play a video of Bono playing in the Metro station (laughs) in in Kyiv, because, you know, the amount of celebrities that have kind of jumped on this bandwagon to promote this war is also quite ridiculous. And it's, it's the reason why, People on the left have basically fallen for much of this propaganda. I'm just gonna play this video really quick. And why you have a lot of young people promoting this anti-Russia sentiment. Where is it? Here we go. So somehow, like you said, I mean, there's all of these Russian bombs that are being dropped. Um, so they have to go into the subway and yet they have the most sophisticated lighting, and camera yep. personnel, and like everything set up to be like a really great performance.
1: Yep, yep. <laughs> and you, you can imagine um, people from New York or Hollywood actually consulting on these these phony displays of hoopla like it's the exact same lighting that you see for the mock late night tv set when dave letterman descends into the subway the the exact same lighting i'm sure it's the same subway station and probably some pr firm from madison ave came in to consult on it and you look at who they're bringing in i mean they're the biggest tools bono he's mr davos
0: well, yeah, and like- and
1: I, need, I need to go in a shelter for a cringe shelter after watching that. And I really feel sorry for Benny King, the brother, Benny King. I mean, how many uh, cheesy white guys have ripped off that song and now they're doing it uh, with with soldiers of an army that officially integrates neo-Nazis. I mean, it's it's disgusting. It's a disgusting rape of the soul tradition of the U.S.,
0: well, and we've and both Mitt Press, yourself, um, and many other independent journalists have covered how this kind of same um integration and, and working with PR groups and you know groups like the White Helmets, you know, how yeah. how do they work with PR groups to formulate really sophisticated videos to promote within Western media? It's not unlikely. It's not unheard of. I mean, these things take place, like they've happened in the past before. So it's not some sort of conspiracy that it could happen again um, in this war. And this is the war that the media is obsessed with right now. Can you imagine when we're talking about Zelensky here, who's being presented as a war hero? And if you look at that Time magazine picture, I mean, his eyes are, they've, they turn them into blue, even though he's, his eyes are actually brown. They've really idolized him in a way that is attractive to the Western audience. Can you imagine if, You know, leaders of resistance movements (laughs) fighting U.S. imperialism were presented in the same way within Western media. They're not. They're presented as terrorists, you know, and and so there's a clear agenda here in the way that um, Zelensky is uh, presented as a as a war hero, as a war hero. Um, And so I want to talk about the weapons that are going into Ukraine Um, I've interviewed people before on this podcast about, you know, where are the weapons going? Well, it turns out that only about 30 percent of the arms are actually reaching the Ukrainian military. Um, You tweeted, Max. I'm going to pull up your tweet here. Um, And I think we're going to watch this video right now. My guy who's supposed to be helping me with my live streams power went out. So I'm going a little bit slower um, in presenting. So just give me one second. So this, so you tweeted this out. This is a CBS um, news report. Um, So CBS was forced to apologize under Pentagon pressure for this report, showing that most military aid to Ukraine was unaccounted for and likely flowing into the hands of criminal mafias. Too much transparency too soon, apparently. Do you want to talk about this before I play it, or should I play it and then you talk about it?
1: Um, well, just to follow up on what you mentioned before, yeah. If you every war or color revolution now plays out on Instagram. And if you're, if you're not on Instagram and you're not following it, you won't understand how these wars or regime change projects are being marketed. They're all marketed through influencers. And I think one of the most important things, an investigative journalist who's anti-imperialist or concerned about these kind of events can do is to look at how these influencers are being recruited. And that's why you're seeing among young people, so much uh suppression of their traditional anti-war tendencies um and right. and and support for these kind of operations you know you have experts doing the the data mining and the psychometric research to understand what soft spots to hit in the minds of millennials and Zoomers. And then they just pounded again and again. We saw Mia Khalifa, the former Lebanese-American porn star, recruited to promote, she was one of the first people to promote the Patria y Vida or, or, no, it was like DS Canal is is a bastard hashtag when these tiny protests broke out in Cuba, which were are rare in that country, and it triggered a massive explosion of hashtag, uh, you know viral hashtags. And you know, the color revolution in Cuba played out more on Instagram than it did in the streets of Havana or anywhere else. And a lot of what you see in Cuba is because they have an energy crisis. People are just going out in the streets because they don't their fans aren't working, and you just got to be out in the street and people get um angry and hungry. But, uh, you know, this core group that was leading these protests in Cuba were also in their own right Instagram influencers who were the product of the open Internet arriving in Cuba starting in 2015, which was a condition of the Obama normalization deal. So it was inevitable that a figure like Zelensky would rise as the global influencer of the main proxy war that the West is waging. I'm sure we'd, we'd see one a Taiwanese figure would have to be branded. And the, the back to the Time magazine cover manar since you mentioned it. Yeah. You know, they could have ne- they they did the same thing with the white helmets who were essentially a public relations operation that was create, sp- spun out of a PR firm called Purpose based in New York and London. Uh, I remember going to the white helmets meeting at the Atlantic Council when they were introduced wow. to BC. <laughs> And, uh, and seated in the front row were a bunch of PR agents I recognized from Purpose, along with David Petraeus and every other spook who is working on Syria. And the problem with the White Helmets, though, and you, you just look at the, take the time cover and juxtapose it with the White Helmets cover. Did the problem it? The problem is the White Helmets are brown people who uh, happen to also consist of, Al Qaeda members, who had long beards, they were not very marketable to the Western public. So when we saw the white helmets, we were mainly looking at rubble, or children being pulled out of the rubble, and they had to obscure the actual figure of the white helmets, because these are not sympathetic figures. I mean, for one, because um, part of the Western public is just simply has racist attitudes towards Arabs and Muslims, but also because in fact, Many of its members were, and if you looked at their Facebook pages, were posting images of Osama bin Laden or the Al-Qaeda Jabhat al-Nusra flag or the ISIS flag. With Ukraine, you got white people, white Christian people, and Zelensky uh, has Jewish heritage, which is perfect to market to like um, coastal liberals who might be irritated or upset by the Azov Battalion and them sig heiling and bearing wolf's angle style nazi insignia so he's he's this perfect figure and it's why so many americans were working on his campaign in 2019 and working on branding him and getting him in there look at his predecessor petro poroshenko he's a alcoholic uh guy with a big chest who has his you know kind of scowl doesn't he's a he's a hardline nationalist doesn't have any much personality at all He's not mar- as marketable. And then they show the people of Ukraine behind Zelensky because they're the white people. They're just like us and they're being bombed by Russia. So we finally have the perfect worthy victims for the West. And it's not just liberals.
0: Yeah, I well, mean, you and go, to, that-
1: you go to Republican Orange County and you'll see yeah. Ukrainian flags all over the place.
0: I was just about to say that. I mean, I go to the grocery store and everyone's bumper sticker is a Ukrainian flag. And all I can think about is like, where are all the Yemeni flags? Where are all the Palestinian flags? You know, Yemen is facing the world's worst humanitarian crisis. Over 23 million people are starving Um, in Palestine. They're living on, you know, Palestinians are living under Israeli occupation and apartheid. And yet you don't see anybody changing their flag, you know, profile pictures with, with, with that flag. So it really um, goes to show just how much uh, or how well that propaganda campaign um, works. So what's taking
1: place in the West Bank now is completely ignored in Western media. I mean, how many deaths have we seen, killings of young men have we seen in the past three weeks, including killings on camera? You'll never see it in Western media, like executions on camera.
0: Yeah, I mean the death of Shireen Abu Akhle, I mean, if that happened in Ukraine, if a Ukrainian journalist was was murdered the way that Shireen Abu Akhle, the Palestinian journalist, was murdered um, on live TV, um, that would have been treated a lot differently um, than 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 her death it's was shocking.
1: Treated. I mean, she was a Christian. She was, uh, according to Ned Price, State Department spokesman, known to our post, meaning she would actually, you know, check in and got she got to know the. Uh, U.S. consulate personnel there in the West Bank. Um, yep. She was keeping them informed on the situation. She was working for Al Jazeera, which has a very good relationship with the U.S. government and is considered a, it's basically a mainstream outlet. And she yeah. was the premier reporter in, in the Palestine. Across Palestine, she was known to everyone. And, I grew up watching
0: her. Yeah. Palestinians grew up watching her. She was like their icon.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, just I, I think of any iconic... Uh, us journalists i can't compare them because they're all such sellouts but i mean <laughs> you know, diane sawyer or something but it, 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 and the how did the u.s treat her they completely threw her under the bus just completely threw her under the bus so yes it's it's all about geopolitics imperialism and yes racism
0: all right, so you, let's let's watch the CVS um, video real quick.
1: Historic flow of weapons coming into Ukraine. Do we have any sense as to where they're going? We don't know. There is really no information as to where they're going uh, at all. You know, all this stuff goes over the border and then kind of like something happens. It kind of like 30% maybe reaches its final destination. 30%. Are you concerned about weapons getting in the wrong hands? I don't care at all whether that happens. What sort of a unit do you command? Uh, Can't say. Okay. The U.S. has sent tens of thousands of anti-aircraft and anti-armor systems, artillery rounds, hundreds of artillery systems, switchblade armored drones, and tens of millions of rounds of small arms ammunition. But in a conflict where front lines are scattered and conditions change without warning, Not all of those supplies reach their destination. Some also reported weapons are being hoarded or worse, fear that they are disappearing into the black market, an industry that has thrived under corruption in post-Soviet Ukraine. I can tell you unarguably that on the frontline units, these things are not getting there. All right. Um, Drones, uh, switchblades, IFACs, they're not. All right. Um, Body armor, helmets, you name it. Is is it safe to characterize this as a little bit of a
0: a black hole? I I, I suppose if you don't have visibility of where this stuff is going, and if you're asking that question, then it would appear that it's a black hole, yeah. As we fuel Ukraine with so much of this... Isn't there a danger that we're just creating the next insurgency, the next failed state? That's one of the reasons we have to win the war. I mean, if we lose the war, if we have this kind of gray
1: <laughs> zone, semi-failed state scenario or something like that, that's why we've got to win. If you do this, you funnel lots of, leave the resource
0: into place and you lose. Uh, then you will have to, to, to face the consequences. I love that. Okay.
1: We have to win the war. Yeah. or or things will turn the winning the war means pumping far more weapons into ukraine than current than currently we're seeing
0: well well just this friday we had the white house announce a new 275 million dollar you know ukraine defense assistance package and then we have british pm rishi sunak promising zelensky new deliveries of anti-aircraft installations and air defense missiles. And so the United States and Great Britain are just pumping Ukraine with weapons. I mean, millions of dollars worth of weapons. I don't know what the total amount thus far is, um, but it appears that clearly only about 30%, and I'm guessing probably even less of those weapons are actually arriving and um, going to the actual uh ukrainian military where are the rest of the weapons going i mean what is happening right here
1: well they're all going to the wrong place i mean (laughs) the fact that they're all going to ukraine means they're going to the wrong place because why why are they why were they going there in the first place hundreds of millions of dollars were authorized by the way in december 2021 to escalate this proxy war right around the time that the um you know, the organization for security cooperation in Europe started noticing a massive buildup of Ukrainian forces in the so-called gray zone in the Donbass, which is what precipitated Russia's invasion. Um, <clears throat> right around the same time, cities in Donetsk were getting shelled with grad rockets more than they had in years. Something was brewing. So this was always going to the wrong place. The whole point was to turn Ukraine into the anti-Russian un- um you know, aircraft carrier that's uns- unsinkable aircraft carrier, sort of like Israel is in the Middle East. And that's a massive provocation to Russia. And we always hear, oh, uh, this is the Putin's unprovoked invasion. If you read like New York Times or CNN copy in, in an article that's supposed to just be a news report, they'll say uh, uh, three weeks after Putin's unprovoked invasion, it's like their editors force them to say this. Maybe it was an invasion, it's an invasion, but it was one of the most provoked invasions in our lifetimes because of the West dumping its arms in ukraine so yes, and now we know it's just a it's obvious that it's not going into the hands of the right people, whoever they are, but who right. are the right who are the right people and who are the wrong people in twenty sixteen Congress reversed its prohibition on arms going to the Azov Battalion, this neo-Nazi regiment. And then in 2018 finally authorized it with the thanks to the efforts of Rokana's staff. I don't think wow. Rokhana was really totally uh, totally understood what he was doing. Yeah, I think because
0: tra- he I mean he's always presenting himself as anti-war Ro Khanna.
1: Yeah. But then I I caught him uh on Capitol Hill. In early March, right after the proxy war broke out, and I, w- I I staked him out. So I'm like, here's the guy who you know banned weapons to Maybe he'll have something interesting to say. And I waited for him for like an hour a- a- outside a cafe, and he came out, and he's you know started speaking to me, and he sounded like. One of uh, Ronald Reagan, he sounded like Alexander Haig or something when he was talking about, this is a good war, this is a great war, and we have to fight for freedom. We're fighting for freedom, and we need to send them all the arms they need. So there goes your prohibition on arms to the Azov Battalion, because who was occupying Mariupol at the time, or supposedly defending Mariupol, the Azov Battalion? And tons of Western weapons started flowing, are, are continuing to flow into the hands of the Azov Battalion, who's doing all these so-called cleanup operations in Kherson? It's the battalions, the neo-Nazi and uh, criminal battalions, and th- they're getting so they're, they're getting the weapons. So maybe they're the they're the rep weapons are going into the right hands with them. Um, but then you have the wrong hands, which would be criminal mafias, uh, people who might sell the weapons on the black market, and then they go to mafias outside of Ukraine. We recently saw several, I was actually in Italy at the time. This was, you know, all over the news. I, I, I saw it sitting in a cafe that four, five Italians had been indicted, all members of the misanthropic division, which is a wing of the, an inter, part of the international wing of the Azov battalion. And they were accused of plotting to blow up police stations in Naples and uh, City administration centers. One of them couldn't be reached because he was currently in Ukraine fighting with the Azov battalion. So you have CBS actually finally reveal this to the US right. public. And what happened? The Pentagon put pressure on them. And there was a massive freakout by Ukrainian Twitter and NAFO and you know the their their little their little troll farm to pressure CBS into retracting and CBS apologized for that report, which was just a factual report. I think, you know, it was public interest journalism. These are our tax dollars and Americans want to know where their tax dollars are going. And they apologized. And I think they removed that, uh, that promotional trailer you saw and removed the 30% number from it because they didn't want to offend their partners. It, It just shows what CBS is and what journalism is today. So why does it, why, you know, when they, you know, you even, the person who said the 30% figure was part of the, essentially, personal, he was a person on the ground that's helping USAID get mm-hmm. in there. This is not, you know, Noam Chomsky or, although, Chom, I mean, this is not Michael Parenti, this is not me or Minara Adley. It was someone who's part of the operation.
0: So that number could be far less for all we know.
1: Definitely. But it's also just telling that they would say that they're frustrated, but who's not frustrated? Who's happy about this? It's the people in Troy, Alabama at the Raytheon plant, which Joe Biden visited this Mm -hmm. summer to celebrate the record number of javelin missiles that had been produced and sent to Ukraine. Not because it was turning the tide of the war but because it was producing jobs in a state like Alabama which just relies basically on military Keynesianism if you could call it no offense to John Maynard Keynes but um, you know that's what this is ultimately about for Americans and this is how our economy is structured and if you actually go to the first five seconds of that clip you can go back and play it there's a logo there
0: Don, I, um, here it is. <clears throat> Present
1: Hey, I'm on a live stream with Minar. Right now? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I only have an
0: hour. Where is oh, say goes. hi
1: to the mint pre, the mint cast audience? Hi. Anya says hi.
0: Hello, Hello Anya. <laughs>
1: Hello. All right, I'll I'll call you after. All
0: right. Bye. Okay, ready? So play the first five seconds.
1: Yeah, it, it, you'll you'll see there's a there's a logo that shows up right there. Do we have okay, s- you can just pause it right there. Okay, that's Saint Javelin. Look at that logo. I, I don't know if you can blow it up as full screen.
0: Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you can see it's the Virgin Mary holding a Raytheon. Wow. Anti-tank wire-guided Javelin missile. I don't actually know if they're wire-guided, but they're you know pretty advanced anti-tank missiles. And so they're conferring holiness upon this weapon. St. Javelin is actually an American organization, but you're seeing it, this logo show up actually in Ukraine, and it is part of the NAFO organization that Alex Rubenstein has written about in a series for us at The Gray Zone where it, 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 it's a component of this organization so nafo poses as this um, club of people who are simply supporters of ukraine and they hate russia and they hate the invasion and they're taking the fight to anyone on twitter or any social media platform who is remotely critical of the proxy war but they're also a fundraising operation for the ukrainian military And these uh, criminal mafias that are connected to the Ukrainian military, specifically the Georgian Legion, which is led by a Georgian warlord who's been involved and boasted about war crimes, executing prisoners, who's been accused of uh, carrying out the sniper operation in Maidan Square in 2014, credibly accused. And he's worshiped by the NAFO crowd and St. Javelin is I don't know if you can hear a sneezing cat in the background but
0: yeah i heard it a dog or a cat go ahead
1: <laughs> my cat just sneezed um so th- this is all about americans send raising money on twitter for a, a gun running operation to a criminal mafia that boasts about committing war crimes that was actually in that actually did carry out war crimes Against Rush captured and wounded Russian soldiers, they executed them on camera happily. This footage went around the world uh, back in April. And here you have their logo showing up in this 60 minutes report. And it all goes back to Troy, Alabama, to the Raytheon plant. And it goes back to the Northern Virginia suburbs where new McMansions are being built for Raytheon executives and their lobbyists and Lockheed lobbyists who are selling the HIMARS system and to Orange County and to Colorado and everywhere else, Texas, where the arms industry has personnel and factories in the U.S. And the U.S. is actually struggling to keep up with the orders. Meanwhile, Canada is running, is basically emptied its storehouses of heavy weapons to send to ukraine the u.s is begging former soviet states to send their uh, surplus migs and other artillery pieces that ukraine needs to replenish its supplies because th- they've produced so much for ukraine and sent it over there and it's either been used or sold off um so it's this is great business great Absolutely. business. And, I mean, look we at also the- haven't mentioned, yeah. sorry to cut in, we haven't mentioned uh, liquid natural gas or the blowing up of the Nord Stream pipeline, the worst active industrial sabotage of our lifetimes was great for Exxon. Um, I saw some of the oil trade uh, publications actually pump out headlines. Nord Stream sabotage creates a unique opportunity for ExxonMobil. Wow. <laughs> I mean, because Europe can't get the gas anymore from Russia, so who's going to supply it? It's, it's Texas. I mean, they were popping champagne in Texas, actually Dallas in Dallas, their skyscrapers, uh, which are, you know, housing the offices of Exxon and the other oil industry, you know, local producers, they have, they, they, they light up with the Ukrainian flag at night, towering over the city of Dallas.
0: I mean, Look at this article from the Atlantic Council. I mean, if it could not be more obvious what the military industrial complex <laughs> is, this is like the article that everybody should be reading. And I'm going to link it in the comments just so everybody can check it out. But so I read this article a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, just as the title says and indicates, this is about Ukraine's top NATO priority. Again, it's about NATO should be weapons not fast tracking membership. So Zelen- and this whole thing is about all the weapons that Zelensky should be adding to his shopping cart. <laughs> Literally, the shopping cart and how he should just stop talking about membership for right now and just focus on, you know, buying up all these weapons.
1: I mean that's amazing. Uh, that's a right. great <laughs> headline. That's a really good catch because what it's saying is that uh NATO's dangling membership before Kiev and telling them, you know, if you just fight this war and fight to the finish. We're going to let you in our club. The EU's dangling membership in too. That means you know Ukrainian refugees and migrants all get to be EU citizens. That would be a dream uh, for a country that already had some of the worst human outflow in the world before this war broke out. But they're never going to get it. They're never going to let them in the club. They're just using them to sell weapons. And that's what that headline explains perfectly.
0: Let's talk about um, Germany. Um, I'm trying to formulate my question here, but it looks like um, Angela Merkel gave an interview to a German newspaper in which she said the 2014 Minsk Agreement was an attempt to give Ukraine an attempt to give Ukraine time. They used that time to get stronger, which you can see today. So in this interview, she basically admitted that the West never had any intention. Of abiding to the Minsk Accords and simply use them as a um, to tool up Ukraine. Um, yeah. I know you saw the story. I think you tweeted about it. What did you make of that information? What did we learn from this whole situation?
1: Well, my tweet went viral because this story really, this is okay. this comment, which is one of the most important quotes of the war, was not getting around in English language media. So I knew she had said it. But it was only in German media. So I just kind of put it out to my following and it went viral because people were shocked. And still, Western media, which is even covered Merkel's interview, it's one of her first major interviews with, uh, I think, Derzeit. Her first major interviews with German media since uh, leaving. Yeah, Derzeit. Yeah, since leaving office, uh, you know, Politico covered her interview. They didn't even mention that quote. I mean, it's amazing how they're studiously ignoring the most important thing she said, and what she said is what uh, former Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko also said publicly, which is that we needed the Minsk Agreement in order to con- to put new facts on the ground. In other words, to build up our military, to try to advance past the and, and, and uh, expand the gray zone around Donbass and get ready for the big war that's coming that the West wants us to fight. And that's what Merkel revealed as well, that they knew this was the whole point of the Minsk agreement. The Minsk agreement was not about negotiating the final status of Donetsk and Lugansk. It was not about a final agreement between those republics, those breakaway republics and Ukraine to bring peace. It was actually for The coup government in Kiev and its NATO backers, it was about building up for war. And what does this remind us of? Reminds us of the Oslo Accords. Israel signed the Oslo Accords with the Palestinian Authority, brought back Yasser Arafat and his crew from Tunis to Ramallah, and knew that it would never negotiate a final status agreement. And actually... You know when Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin, then Israeli Prime Minister, who would soon be assassinated for signing this agreement, shook hands on the White House lawn. Most of the Palestinian Authority delegation, the P- the PLO delegation, had not seen the details of the agreement yet. And Hanan Ashrawi, who was actually had stayed in the West Bank, wasn't you know detached from this all in Tunis. When she saw the agreement, she flipped out. She said, there is no final status. There's no mention of borders here. Uh We didn't get anything. So they can continue to put facts on the ground under cover of negotiating and wanting peace. And it's, you know, so when uh, Rabin was assassinated and Ehud Barak came in from the Labour Party, that's when the most settlements were built in the occupied West Bank. It wasn't under Netanyahu. It wasn't under Ariel Sharon. They actually pulled back settlements, unlike the Labor Party, which signed the Oslo Accords. The Labor Party was much uh, more sophisticated in the way that it was dealing with the occupation. And what Israel successfully did was convince the Western media, the liberal intelligentsia, that it wanted peace because it signed this agreement. While it made, well, it took peace after peace after peace and built up its military in the West Bank and sealed off Gaza, essentially made preparations for these catastrophic assaults on the Gaza Strip that took place during the Obama administration. That was all thanks to the Oslo Accords. The separation wall, the, the apartheid wall that yeah. runs in the, through Palestinian communities in the West Bank would not have been possible without the Oslo Accords. And the, the buildup of the Ukrainian military and the provocation of this Russian invasion would not have been possible without the Minsk Agreement. So this is why, if why you see resistance movements across the Middle East or these people's militias in Donetsk and Lugansk speak out so strongly against these uh, phony negotiations. It's
0: all theatrics. That's yeah. all theatrics. Absolutely. Um, I think that I think that yeah. that's their purpose. Is to kind of give this farce that we have some sort of peace agreement, but usually those peace agreements mean, like you said, to grab more land, expand borders, steal more resources, and it's really the people on the ground that suffer the most from those and, kinds of agreements.
1: And, and then when the agreements are, are thrown away and revealed as charades, yeah, it gives a lot of legitimacy and momentum to the groups that the West considers extremists. Uh, people turn to them because. For example, Palestinian Islamic Jihad—they never—they were one of the f- groups that never supported the negotiations. Whereas PFLP, traditionally the Marxist-Leninist group in Palestine, they actually went along with Oslo, and they lost so much legitimacy um, in the West Bank. They were, you know, for a time basically reduced to a bunch of NGOs. Um, and Palestinian Islamic Jihad never participated in politics. They said it were just a pure resistance movement. Hezbollah in Lebanon, same thing. And you see it as well with the the armed groups in Donetsk and Lugansk. Putin himself said that he – I mean he's he's made noises suggesting that he regretted not going in immediately after the Maidan coup. Uh, Now knowing what he knows about the Minsk agreement, the Russian foreign ministry invested so heavily in it, although it wasn't the lead negotiator, it was banking on – Something happening there to prevent this catastrophe and they gave up, invaded and here we are. And so I continue to blame the collective West for the catastrophe of this proxy war. And it's because of them that we see no negotiations to end it. And this war will definitely continue well into 2023.
0: Well, and not only are they not negotiating and to end this, but it's like they're burning everything down with them along the way to make sure there is no room for peace. I mean, you've you you know um, you have done a lot of really great reporting at the Gray Zone with Clarenberg and others about the United or not the United States the the blowing up of the Kerch Bridge and the Nord Stream pipeline. I mean, when that took place, it was like. Are we just trying to start World War 3 here? Like what are we what are we trying to do? What is the right. whole point of that? It's like yeah, we're just burning I mean, everything down with us.
1: Well, yeah, and 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 western correspondents um or and, and, and you know figures in the e- EU EU officials um husband of uh Ann Applebaum, the Washington Post correspondent who's like um pundit, neocon pundit who's pals with Hillary Clinton and a board member of the National Endowment for Democracy. Isn't I'm 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 forgetting his name right now. I mean he's openly celebrated the attack on the Nord Stream pipeline and basically gave away the whole game. Whereas, you know, the the perpetrators wanted some plausible deniability to be able to blame Russia. But then you have the Kerch Bridge. Yeah. The Kerch what is the Kerch Bridge? This is one of Putin's hallmarks of his legacy. what is one of the hallmarks of Putin's legacy. You could say it's a symbol of Putinism along with the World Cup being hosted in Russia, him securing that um along with, you know, his prosecution of some of the oligarchs or ending the Chechnya War, South Ossetia, but that that winning, you know, defeating Georgia, um, smacking down McCain at the two thousand and seven Munich Security Conference. These are sort of this, these, the, these memories or, or um, uh, milestones of Putin's legacy um, that he w- wants to be remembered for. But the Kerch Bridge was really a symbol of Putinism. Four billion dollars invested in this very high tech bridge using ex- a sophisticated engineering to connect Crimea to the Russian Federation and basically bring back Crimea that was the point of attacking it. That The mm. point was to attack Putin's legacy and to provoke him personally. Similarly, similar to the assassination of Daria Dugina, um, this analyst whose father uh, was painted in Western media as Putin's brain, which was completely false. But the point was to get at Putin, to provoke Putin. And so the point is they, they succeeded. And what, did the provocation lead to it led to attacks on ukraine's electrical grid which has been horrible for ukrainians and has plunged a majority of their population into darkness in the winter season i got to um pause for a second and i'll be right back if you can um just take me out of the studio i'll be back in 30 seconds
0: okay <laughs> All right. Well, first of all, I just want to thank everybody for joining us. We're not done. We just have, you know, maybe 15 more minutes left with our stream. Max Lamenthal just had to step out for a second. He's going to be right back, as you heard, hopefully within the next 30 seconds to a minute. Um, and for those who are joining us, um, just just to help us beat social media algorithms, if you could share this live stream where you can hit like and subscribe. Uh, Press News is independent watchdog journalism. And we are continuously reporting on the permanent war state. Um, And if you are following um, the coverage that we have, we've done really incredible interviews, um, especially in the last uh, couple of months with really prominent names. So we really appreciate everybody um, being here. If you guys have any questions that you'd like Max to um, answer, you can go ahead and put them in the...
1: All right, I'm back. uh,
0: you can put them in the comment section.
1: Someone called me a flake in the. In you know, the,
0: it's just it's it's yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, the reason I I, I designed for a package because I'm getting some new uh, studio equipment because we're trying to improve the quality of our live streams at the Gray Zone. So
0: thanks, we're we're Certainly in the same process too. Good,
1: good. Well, yeah, happy that's amazing. <laughs> wow.
0: Amazing. Yeah. So I want I want you to continue talking about um, the Nord Stream now the Nord Stream pipeline as well. And some of the reporting that you guys did on that, in addition to the, the Kerch bridge, you talked about the Kerch bridge, um, but also the Nord Stream pipeline, the way that British intelligence were in, you know, potentially allegedly involved in that. I mean, do we know who for sure blew up the pipeline?
1: Uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious who benefited. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um. But yeah, we, we got, we had, we have pr- pretty cl- a pretty clear indication that British intelligence was involved in the Kerch bridge attack because we have documents that we published internal documents that were confidential circulated among a military and a group of military intelligence operatives who produced a blueprint in April for attacking the Kerch bridge. Um, and they were furnishing it to the Ukrainians. But we also, and this is Kit Clarenberg's reporting, we also published a follow-up report by Kit showing that those that same group of military intelligence operatives, they run a consulting firm called Prevail, which is contracted by the uh, British Ministry of Defense. And their director, Chris Donnelly, one of their directors, Chris Donnelly, he headed the Integrity Initiative, which we've reported on. Mint Press has reported on, was kind of like mm-hmm. a media warfare operation to generate anti-Russian hysteria throughout Europe and the U.S. and was run through a front think tank. So they're 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 operating on many fronts, but they were actually kind of trying to legitimize the idea of attacking the Kerch Bridge. They proposed um, torpedoing it or hitting its wow. support structure with drones. But they also had, um, as we revealed, raised up, actually cultivated a secret terror army of what they called Ukrainian partisans to attack targets in Crimea. And they got a Ministry of Defense contract to do so. So this was an active project. And look at what happened. I mean, it's it's an ongoing project. Attacking Crimea, as I said before, is a red line for the Kremlin. This is considered Russian Federation territory, non-negotiable. And so they're essentially attacking the Russian mainland in the minds of the Kremlin. And that's why the Kremlin escalated and began attacking the electrical infrastructure. Remember, Putin referred to the invasion as a special military operation back in February. And when you call it an SMO, special military operation that conveys a legal, certain legal guidelines, Putin was essentially saying, we will attack the Ukrainian military, destroy the Ukrainian military, and we will denazify Ukraine. So we will destroy Mm -hmm. the Azov battalion and that structure of fascism that has been terrorizing the ethnic Russian population inside Ukraine, but he, they avoided attacking, you know, the electrical infrastructure, doing a kind of shock and awe attack on Ukrainian government buildings until all of this took place. So behind behind the scenes, the British military intelligence apparatus was pushing for this insane escalation. And, you know, we also revealed documents showing emails that Chris Donnelly had produced For his team, where he's complaining about Biden warning of nuclear Armageddon and actually calling for undermining Biden and undermining anyone in Biden's national security kitchen cabinet who might be amenable to giving up Crimea. And the way to do that is to keep the terror attacks coming and to keep provoking Putin. And what Donnelly says in this private email is that Putin will never go nuclear. He will never go to that level. So let's just keep poking the bear. These people are such dangerous psychos. Anyone who says that does not care about the future of humanity. And that's why it's important to expose these figures because we actually care about human survival.
0: Well, and you know, what's so funny, Max, is that because you care about human survival and because we care about human survival, you know, whenever we talk about um, the threat of this rise of also Nazis in Ukraine, like with the Azov Battalion, we are called like Putin apologists. Like we're just yeah. doing you know, we're, we're, we're just doing the same narrative as Putin and Russia in this conflict. And I actually spoke at two events in the last uh, six months. And both times there was one Ukrainian at each event that it was almost like they were given the same script or trained. I mean, I don't know who these people were, but two people, uh, one at each event that said exactly the same thing to me. Oh, well, um, Ukraine's plight against Russia is that like of Palestine. Okay, that was one thing they said. Another thing that they said was that, you know, why do the people, the anti-war movement keep talking about? Um, the Nazis in Ukraine, the Azov battalion, you know, they just make up less than a hundred members and they're just like, they're not even known in Ukraine. They're not even known. That's what they, that's what those two people said at my event. They tried to, you know, debate me. So we clearly have this group, this initiative, I guess you should say to kind of deal to, to minimize the Azov battalion's, um, you know, their efforts in Ukraine, where does that, where does that come from? I mean, I mean, how active are they within the Ukrainian military?
1: Well, they were just on tour across the U S and being welcomed at huge halls, the New York uh, documentary festival welcomed uh, uh, one of their photographers who'd been posing with uh, pro Hitler insignia and, you know, the number 88 which stands for Heil Hitler. I mean, probably saying that will get you demonetized, just me saying that, even saying that it's bad this to whole say
0: thing is probably demonetized this whole but conversation.
1: <laughs> to to paraphrase Kanye, I mean, these people love Hitler. They love Hitler. They say so. Not all of them, but many of them. Um, why? Because Hitler was the key patron of Stepan Bandera when he and his organization of Ukrainian nationalists along with Roman Shukovich's Ukrainian partisan army were fighting the Soviets and the the Soviet control over Ukraine. So these were the fathers of Ukrainian nationalism. They're George Washington's and they were Nazi collaborators. They are heroes to most Ukrainians who are part of the kind of Galician tradition. So, so too is the Galician SS division of the Nazi third military or presided over by Adolf Hitler. Uh, you can see Galician SS f- insignia on Ukrainian tanks currently in battle right now. That's just a tradition that needs to be whitewashed. It's hard to whitewash it when you have like the Canadian foreign minister, former foreign ministers, now deputy prime minister, basically the, most, second most important politician in Canada Christia Freeland waving a red and black organization of Ukrainian nationalist flag on Ukrainian Pride Day just proudly holding up this flag of Nazi collaborators who carried out pogroms against Jews and poles and ethnic Russians who is Christia Freeland's grandfather Michael Chamiak, who ran a Nazi-funded newspaper it was funded under the watch of joseph goebbels he he not only did that he edited the encyclopedia of uh the, the ukrainian uh encyclopedia britannica it's like the ukrainian online encyclopedia Christian freeland did a, a lot of entries there go look at the entry on stepan bandera it paints him as this hero of humanity i mean you can't it, it's so hard to paper over that tradition that i think would turn off most uh, American Jews, certainly, but most decent Americans, if they actually understood it. So there's been a PR effort to confuse them and to paint this all as some kind of Russian talking point. Yeah. And and, and they've been doing that since 2014. I remember when, uh, during the I mean, Maidan did, coup.
0: Yeah, you did reporting on the Maidan coup and how Israel was even training the Azov Battalion. We, we published that work.
1: Well, Haaretz, the Israeli... Um, liberal publication, like they're one of their premier, their oldest newspaper, oldest newspaper in Israel reported that Israel was arming the Azov battalion. I mean, you can see these Azov guys showing up with Tavor field rifles, the same rifles that you'll see Israeli soldiers bearing in the West Bank. But back in 2014, I was reporting for publications like Alternet on the presence of neo-Nazis in the Maidan, in Maidan Square and it was then that this group called C-14, one of the most hardcore, ideologically hardcore bands of neo-Nazis, had stormed the city hall in Kiev and covered its walls with flags like the Confederate flag, the German Third Reich flag, with the swastika at the center, along with flags of the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists and other Nazi collaborator groups. And that really shocked me at the time. So I reported on it and you could just go on YouTube and see video after video that they themselves published. And the most shocking aspect was when the uh, Ukrainian Berkut, the riot police, raided City Hall and kicked them out. Where did they take shelter? In the Canadian embassy. The Canadian embassy opened its doors to these neo-Nazis. So it was obvious the West was backing them. It was cool with neo-Nazis being involved. And now they're and, and mainstream media would report on it. The New York Times, Deutsche Welle, all of these outlets reported on the troubling presence of Nazis in the ranks of the Ukrainian military and in Ukrainian society. Amnesty International, even in Ukrainian, had a report on how these groups had gotten so strong and ferocious that no one in Ukraine was safe. They were attacking you know, the gay pride parade, attacking human rights uh, defenders. They were attacking... Uh, Uh, roma encampments in kiev with uh, official sponsorship and funding from the local municipality and now they don't exist so we're just living through one of the saddest and most cynical propaganda stunts and it's bringing us to the brink of nuclear war so we should be more angry than we currently are it's really just depressing that there isn't more mobilization by the anti-war movement to the extent that one exists. Um, But this also speaks to another thing we talked about, Minar, which is just how young people are not so interested in anti-war activism like they might have been in the 60s or 70s.
0: Well, look at just TikTok. I mean, you know, there's, there's some viral videos out there like, you know, China controls the algorithms of TikTok, right? But that's actually not true. That's actually not the case. Um, the CIA and uh, much of the U.S. intelligence agencies and Canadian intelligence agencies have control over the TikTok algorithms, and what they have done is they've worked directly with TikTok influencers to promote the U.S.-Russia uh, war in or U.S. yeah U.S.-Russia war in Ukraine, and so I think that Tart. I mean, just like in Syria and during the Maidan coup, the United States and its U.S. intelligence agencies used outlets like BuzzFeed and Vice News to promote those wars. They're now using uh, platforms like TikTok to influence the minds and hearts of young people and to also keep them distracted. I mean, I know teenagers who are Palestinian who are like, you know, why is Ukraine all over TikTok? But videos about Israeli apartheid are being taken down every single day on YouTube, whose partner is the ADL, who, by the way, the ADL announced this week that, hey, Azov is all good. (laughs) They're, they're not so bad. I think you tweeted about that too, Max. Let's, let's, let's wrap up the conversation with the ADLs um, or anything that you want to add.
1: Well, I mean, what the anti-defamation league is run by a former Obama staffer named Jonathan Greenblatt. And so who's, I mean, who's running the country right now? Who's, who's running the white house? do you think Joe Biden is running the white house? Like this guy looks embalmed. If you actually look at any footage of Joe Biden, when he was in the Senate, compare you know, speech yeah. from Joe Biden, in the Senate, compare it to now he's not even alive. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's weekend at Bernie's, but sadder. And Obama recently spoke at, uh, I think it was like a fundraiser for Raphael Warnock, who was running against like another brain damage victim, Herschel Walker. And he said, uh, you know, he's talking about like, like you know, you're having Thanksgiving and, you know, everybody has their crazy uncle and you, 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 you tolerate uncle Joe, you let uncle Joe rant and say his crazy stuff, but you don't put uncle Joe in a position of power. And no. he's, you know, you think he's referring to Herschel Walker, but he's calling, he's talking about uncle Joe. Who's uncle Joe. He's talking, it was like the ultimate Freudian slip. He's talking about Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so Obama's basically, and the Obama former administration is running the Biden administration, or at least the the political, domestic political side. And Jonathan Greenblatt, the head of the ADL is essentially a functionary of the Obama Biden administration. And so if the Biden Obama administration needs to sponsor some neo-Nazis in Ukraine to get the job done against Russia, then the ADL is going to stop calling that group out, which they and they used to call the Azov Battalion a hate group. They would condemn them in harsh terms. And now they're telling Alex Rubenstein, our contributor at the gray zone, that the Azov Battalion is no longer far right. That was the exact language that Anti-Defamation wow. League used when Alex, rep- <laughs> I mean, it's a funny backstory. Basically, Jon Stewart the liberal court jester, so I would just call him a centrist court jester. He hosted this uh, event called the Warrior Games, which is sponsored by the Pentagon, and it took place at Disneyland, where veterans, military veterans, compete in various athletic competitions. And the Ukrainian military brought a delegation that featured some Azov members, and one of them had neo-Nazi tattoos all over his left arm, so he wore a sleeve when he got his award from Jon Stewart. So it's the funniest story, Jon Stewart gives an award to a neo-Nazi at a Pentagon sponsored event at Disneyland. Like how many layers of absurdity can you have? How destroyed is our culture? I mean, how completely gone are we?
0: That that represents how destroyed our culture is right there with that story.
1: (laughs) Totally. So Alex like went even further and he filed a uh, report to the Anti-Defamation League of an anti-Semitic incident. (laughs) Where, you know, because I mean, you know, honoring a neo-Nazi, I would say that's pretty bad. And then they came back with this defense of the Azov battalion to his report months later. So Alex just did a new report. I mean, how, so, so the ADL is just this complete tentacle of the White House that, that, and, and what does that mean for like American Jews or world Jewry and the issue of anti-Semitism. It means it's tied to the fate of the Democratic Party and whoever's in power in Washington, according to the ADL. So we as a people, or as a faith community, are prisoners of partisanship and political gamesmanship. And they've just like taken Jews and just totally cheapened what we are and who our actual enemies are.
0: Well, I mean, it, the ADL is also a representative of like Israeli interests in the United yeah. States as well. You know, so what that fits in with, as long as there is anti Semitism, then in a funny way, not in a funny way, but like in a disturbing way, I guess you could say, Israel continues to uh, justify its actions against Palestinians too. It works yeah. in that way. <laughs> in
1: that I, the ADL way. is a hate group. The ADL is the one of the biggest hate groups.
0: They um, are a hate group. And they are the ones who are working with these social media giants to crack down on so-called hate when they're actually responsible for removing thousands upon thousands of Palestinian posts showcasing Israeli occupation and apartheid and war crimes against them.
1: Yep. And and they won't they're they're there to fight hate? Right. What 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 is one of the, the the nexus of hate (laughs) of apartheid of fascism is right there in the country that the ADL was set up to support and two key security ministers in the incoming Israeli coalition will be ardent followers of the fascist exterminationist rabbi Meir Kahana and the ADL has nothing to say.
0: Nothing. And they'll promote those people. Um, like they've been doing with other, you know, fascist leaders um in Israel. Oh,
1: they'll, they'll call you an anti Semite for mentioning them. That's their job. Um mm-hmm. and then in doing so, they cheapen the concept, the idea of anti Semitism. I've been saying that Actually, for years. Real yes. anti Semitism rears its head, everyone will just shrug and laugh at it. Um because So many people who are just anti-racists like Jeremy Corbyn or you have been called anti-Semites. I just saw that the LA Times just called Mint Press an anti-Semitic group, an anti-Semitic publication. They didn't produce any evidence at all. So the the term means nothing.
0: Led by a Palestinian woman with half my staff being Jewish. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs)
1: Yeah, Shout out to to Ben Rubenstein is live tweeting this. I guess, uh, you know, you don't count along with me. Uh, right, we're we're anti Semitic Jews, I guess
0: that's right, that's right. Um, Max, this has been such a rich conversation, and um, I know a lot of our viewers and readers are familiar with your work. But make sure everybody to check out the Gray Zone a lot of really amazing, important, some of the most important investigative journalism. There's not a lot of us investigative, independent watchdog journalists, um, you know, around anymore, so make sure to support. Um, The Grey Zone and Mint Press News as well, where both both platforms are covering um, the permanent war state in all of the think tanks, the military industrial complex and the very figures that are working behind the scenes to make these wars possible and who are crafting the messages within social media platforms and within our media to ensure that these wars continue. So thank you so much, Max, for joining us today.
1: Thanks a lot, Menar. Thanks, every, thanks to everyone who watched.